0: Lord, we know that you have a message for your people today. May our hearts be willing to hear it. May, Lord, the distractions that so easily take our mind off wondering be put aside. And may we for a moment, since the presence of your Spirit and your Son, as if, Lord, we were right there in heaven with you. May we experience it together today. And may we never want to depart from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Conviction. What should we do? You know, the devil's a tricky little guy. He has somehow integrated within the language of the church, his deceptions. He's changed the definitions. In fact, many people believe that conviction is related to guilt. And today in this message, by the word of God, I'm going to show you that conviction and guilt are as far as the East is from the West. And I pray that through this message the light will begin to shine in our lives, and we will see God how he intends to be seen. I'd like to go back to our opening scripture reading. Thank you, that was so beautifully read. You guys did such a great job up here with the music and everything just to prepare our hearts for the Lord. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be converted. I don't want to just be a casual Christian. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like David. I want to be someone that's sold out for Christ. What about you? So when I read in the Bible about how to be converted, I get excited. How about you? Psalm chapter 19 and starting in verse 7. You guys have your Bible? Psalm 19 and verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is Horrible. It doesn't say that. No. The law of the Lord is a burden. No. It doesn't say that. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You know, the reason why we struggle with that a lot is because we've summed up God's law. So what have we done? We just say it starts with, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we look at God and go, not worthy. But you know it doesn't start that way at all. Exodus 20, first commandment begins, and the Lord God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and for that reason thou shalt not. Are you following? Huge difference. Not out of guilt or condemnation, but he shared the message of love and deliverance. And because we could then trust him, the law of the Lord would now be sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Now my grandfather used to have bees, and I remember as a kid, he would bring us, you know, a jar of honey with the honeycomb in it. And man, that was better than gum or any of these things that you could chew. I mean, it was so good. You guys are missing out if you've never had the honeycomb. It is incredible. And it's saying that God's law, his principles, his love is to be desired more than the honey from the honeycomb. Amen? So we're going to take a little journey together and see if we can't see the way God would want us to see this. So I'm going to skip right ahead here. Oh, I went way too far. Let's see. Oh, we could go there. It ends in that scripture reading with, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my... There it is again, my Redeemer, right? Right? And so let's see if we can't unpack this and see what has happened. Because I don't know about you guys. Sometimes the church isn't a very safe place. Sometimes our homes are not a very safe place. You know what I'm talking about. When we want someone to really feel bad about what they've done. Does that ever help? Does that make someone motivated to want to do better next time? You know when you sit there and you say, you do the same thing every time, every single time. You just keep doing this. You're so bad. You're so wrong. And we're sitting there going, paralyzed, help, help. Like we can't reach. It's like we're looking for the light switch, but we just can't seem to feel it. And the other person is saying, I see the light switch, but I ain't switching it on for you because you're too dumb to not know how to figure it out yourself. And so with just blindness, we're just feeling and groping in despair, discouragement, doubt, disbelief, grief, guilt, pain, anguish. And some people say that's holiness. Not at all. Not at all. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Dr. Winch says this. I thought this was interesting. He says, Unresolved and excessive guilt interferes with the cognitive functioning, concentration, and daily tasks. And so, what is that trying to say? It's saying that guilt does not help motivate anyone. Did God use that tactic? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2, because that's really where we're basing our studies together. Acts chapter 2. We're looking at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is preaching, and in Acts chapter 2, we see something pretty fascinating. If you guys will turn there, we're going to Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Are you guys there? Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. It's also on the screen. Welcome to everyone who's watching online. We really appreciate all of you and your prayers. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Well, there you have it. Guilt. You crucified him. Have you guys ever noticed that when you feel a certain way about someone, it doesn't really matter what they say, you're still going to hear it the same way anyways? And so if you view God that way, if you think that God is waiting for you to sense your guilt and your horribleness and you are just have to make sure and convince him how sorry you really are, then you're going to read that verse totally different than it was intended. In fact, don't take my word for it. We're going to go on a little Bible study together. Amen? Because the word of God is Perfect. Now, as I was having trouble sleeping last night, anybody ever have trouble sleeping? The Lord just decided he would get chatty. He'd just start talking. And I'm sitting there going, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Can we talk later? (laughs) But for some reason, I just couldn't get out of my head a light switch. I'm like, why, Lord, do you keep talking to me about this light switch? He says, you know, the power is always on on a light switch. It's not an issue of power. What happens when the light isn't shining, which you know darkness is just the absence of light, right? And so when the light isn't shining, what's going on is there's a disconnect between the power source. Are you following? And so what God wants to do is He wants to motivate us to flip the switch. The power is always going, but He wants to flip the switch in our life. Are you following? Let's see if we can unpack that a little bit more. So it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, if they heard judgment, condemnation, guilt, and you're so bad, they would not have responded the way they did. I mean, just look at your life, right? The Bible says the other book is nature itself. I mean, when you go at your spouse and you just tell them how bad they are, do they ever turn around and go, I love you, honey. I just want to do whatever would make you happy right now. Does that usually happen that way? No, not at all. But notice the response here. The response was, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were moved by compassion, is what it's trying to say. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, you could look at this in a couple ways. You could look at it the worldly way and say that they're asking what could they do in response to God or to earn favor with God. But that's not what they're doing. They're overwhelmed by the love. If you read it in context, Acts chapter 2, it's that their sin was paid for, their guilt was nailed to the cross, By a Savior who did not come into the world to condemn them, but to save them. If God wanted to condemn you, he wouldn't need to send you to church. We're all guilty already, right? Like if he wanted to prove that you were bad and wanted you to feel really bad about it, he didn't have to come and die on a cross to tell you that, right? You deserve to die on the cross. And so the message of love is, is that Jesus was willing to take my place. And the reason he didn't say anything is because I had no defense. What happens if we get the wires wrong? Any of you guys ever need a jump in your car? Imagine with me, that Andre Clark is sitting out there in his car after he rode on our grass. (laughs) And he calls me up, and he's like, Hey, Pastor Joshua, could you give me a jump? I'm in need right now. My car won't start. And the neighbors are getting hostile. (laughs) Now, you guys don't know the context of what I'm saying there, but Andre was teaching his daughter to drive a stick. And they went into the grass, and our neighbors thought somebody was violating our property, and they came very angry to talk to Andre. So we've joked about that since. But imagine I show up, and I get my jumper cables. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but black goes on black, red on red. Right? If you switch the order, what happens? It don't just spark. It ruins your car. It could ruin the other car. You follow what I'm saying? It sends... A jolt that dehabilitating. It is. It just paralyzes. And instead of helping, I cause more harm. Well, what happens if I come to you as I am the good and perfect pastor, and so I'm not going to put red on red because, man, you're the sinner. I'm going to cover it with black because I don't see the sin in my life, so I'm going to put black on there. And I'm going to put the red on the black so I can get rid of all that stuff. You filthy person. What happens? But what does Paul teach? He says, I am the chief offender. When you want to go help someone, you want to turn on the switch, you first have to recognize that you're no better than them. God has opened your eyes to see the the light switch. So conviction says, what should I do? Let me help you out. Amen? So conviction versus guilt. Is there a difference? There is a major difference in conviction and guilt. Notice what it says in John 16, verse 8. Now remember, who was preaching on the day of Pentecost? Peter was preaching by whose authority? The Holy Spirit was poured out, right? So let's see what the Holy Spirit says about conviction. John 16, verse 8, it says, And when he, that's speaking to the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin. There you have it, guilt. Hold on, hold on. He'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Why don't we ask Jesus what that means? Could we do that? Have you ever asked your spouse what they meant? Or were you already convinced? Well, here's what Jesus has to say. He says, I'm going to convict you of sin because you don't believe in me. Now, before you start feeling really guilty and think he's pointing the finger, I want to remind you of a verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in me, believes in what? That I am love. And then he, to make sure we don't miss it, he says, I did not come to condemn you, but to save you. Are you following? And so what he's doing is he's coming to convict us of sin because what we've done is we've put the order wrong. You know how to spell God, right? You guys can all spell that. G-O-D. Capital G, right? Jehovah, our Lord and protector. What happens if you reverse the letters? You got dog, okay? What's outside the city? The beautiful city in the book of Revelation, who's not there? Dogs, sorcerers, right? So, what happens if you have a big D and a little G in your life? Well, what does that mean? Well, a big D might be you're discouraged, you're doubting, disbelief, you're feeling despair. And when the D is in the wrong place, because we all experience those things, right? We all have those difficult experiences. But when the D becomes the central focus, the G becomes little. And that means you have a little God. So discouragement over God, doubt over God. Are you following? But let's reverse that. Or you could say discouragement overcomes God. Right? But let's reverse it. Let's put it in the right order. Big G, God overcomes discouragement. The light switch turns. Are you following? God overcomes doubt. God overcomes disbelief and despair and all these things. Are you following? We've got to get the order correct, but the problem is is that the world has so crept into the church that what we really preach is something altogether different. What do I mean? We're preaching every day in our, in our homes. You need to feel really bad about it. Okay? So Jesus sees a woman caught in adultery. She's thrown at his feet, naked, lying there humiliated. Did Jesus tell her to go spend a week feeling really bad, bad about it and then come back and talk to him? Did he tell her, I've told you so many times, I've whispered in your ear, I've constantly been there telling you, don't do this, and and you keep doing it. Get down, don't get up, don't look at me right now, spend a week humiliating yourself before I'll talk to you. But that's what we teach in our homes, sometimes in our church. So, what does it say? The Holy Spirit will convict us of sins so that we can believe in Jesus. Believe what? Believe that he is love. Believe that he has taken our guilt upon himself, though he had none, so that you could live with no guilt. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So why is he convicting us of righteousness? Because Jesus, like in that story, was the only perfect example of right living. And now Jesus is in heaven, so the Holy Spirit is sent to convict us, not to guilt trip us, to convict us, which is to motivate us through compassion, which is the connection of the wire, to compel us to go forward. To know what Jesus would have done. And he convicts us of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Notice it doesn't say you. If you read about hell, it never says that God intended hell for any of us. It was for the devil and his angels, his followers. He's convicting you of sin so you can believe in his love. He's convicting you of righteousness so you can live his love. He's convicting you of judgment so that you can be hearing his voice say, well done, my faithful and good servant. But maybe you're just not convinced. That's okay. It's hard to believe in a God that good because we haven't seen it in our lives too often, have we? Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you despise the pointing of fingers? Is that what it says? You would think you would say that right but it says or do you despise the riches of his goodness his forbearance his long suffering not knowing what do they not know what is it that god wants his people to know the condemnation of god the guilt of god the i'm not worthy enough that god wants to convince you of No, if that's what he wanted to convince you of, he wouldn't have died on a tree. And you know, like that beautiful song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. You know, when you come there, you're overwhelmed with sorrow, but it's not the sorrow of guilt. Because you come there and you see such love when you expect that he would point the finger and say, look what you've done to me. Instead, his eyes light up when he sees you. His face, through all the agony, seems to turn. And it begins to embrace a smile. As he looks you in the eye, he says, I forgive you. You don't have to carry the guilt. I've taken it for you. So conviction... Versus guilt, is there a difference? The process of conviction doesn't always feel pleasant, does it? You know, I got a call yesterday afternoon. I had been, got my shot early in the morning, had a funeral service, just poured my heart out, saw God do all these things. I, I was already worn down. I had all the reasons to say no. But I got a call. Would you please help us move? I only got one person here. Like, I got two sermons to preach, a communion to do at one church. I've got trainings in the afternoon. I don't even know if I'm going to feel well. Like, I had all the reasons I could have checked off to justify a lack of compassion. But conviction of the call motivated me to drive to Maryland. When I got there, I realized that the guy who was helping had driven five hours to come. Made mine look very small, my little sacrifice. But you know what made everything feel right and better? When you get the wires together and they're in the right order... It was when I saw them with genuineness in their eyes say, Thank you so much for coming. All the excuses, all the justifications, all the reasons just melted away. It felt good. It feels good to be convicted when you respond through compassion. So what does it say? 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. Notice with me as we continue on our Bible study. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. Let's make that in in modern day English. Now I rejoice, not that you felt guilty. Can you work with me for a minute? But that your sorrow led to repentance. Romans 2, 4, what leads to repentance? What kind of sorrow was this? The goodness of God. When you come before the cross, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the discouragement becomes a little d. And God becomes a big g. And when you got God in the right order, anxiety, despair, grief, guilt, all melt away. And the sorrow that you experience is a sorrow... That leads to repentance, which means it's a sorrow of, wow, God, you are so good. If you went to God and he told you, you're bad, you would have said, that's what I already felt. Right? I mean, you've tried it with your spouse before, right? You're bad, you're bad, you're bad, and they just start to, yeah, I am. Right? Or they fight and they argue. But they usually don't go, oh, the goodness of my spouse has led me to want to change. But isn't that what the church should be? Shouldn't the church be a breath of fresh air? Shouldn't our homes... Be filled with grace, not a works-based salvation. Shouldn't it be that when we come to each other, we show each other genuine love, undeserved, unmerited grace, even though they may have done it over and over again, was not the woman created to be a helpmate? Was not the man created to be there for his wife and to love her and give his life for her? So if you see the light switch, why do you continue to let your spouse mumble and fumble and hit against the wall in despair when you know how to turn it on. That's what church is. You come together and we turn switches on for each other. Right? We all of a sudden start to see, as God wants us to see, that he didn't send the law to condemn us. He sent it because he saved us. And he says, look, my law is filled with compassion. And it convicts you to the converting of your soul because it connects the wires when you see me for who I am. I am the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, forgiving thousands who love me and keep my commandments. That's why it says, for you were made sorry in a godly manner. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not suffer any loss, right? Do you not see the love of God? He's saying, look, yes, you're like sheep. You keep wandering off, but do you see God yelling at the sheep? Get back over here, you bad sheep. No, you see him gently leading us to still waters. Could we start leading each other to still waters? This is a message on conviction, so it's supposed to do something in your heart. Cuts you. Why? Verse 10. For godly sorrow, sorrow that sees the goodness of God, produces repentance, leading to condemnation. Guilt, discouragement, despair. No, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. I don't know about you guys, but I really regret feeling sorry in the sense of the world wants me to feel sorry. Like, if I could just prove to you how sorry I really am, like, like that doesn't make me feel good. That doesn't make me want to go out and stand before you or anything like that, right? Like, I, I, I want to just Hide like Adam and Eve did when they started to eat from the fruit. Right? That fruit of that voice that says, you've got to get yourself right. So they made themselves aprons. That fruit that says, you've got to really show them you're really sorry. But when he was coming, he was coming not to point the finger. He was coming to offer himself in their place. But they were too busy arguing to hear him. That's why it says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What if that sorrow was in the church? What if we thought we were supposed to be guilty? We were supposed to walk around in guilt and despair. Wouldn't that make a lot of miserable Adventists? We're supposed to be pointing people to the second coming of Jesus, but all we're telling people about Jesus is that he just wants you to feel really bad. That's why he says in 3 John 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Do you know that guilt leads to health issues? It leads to mental issues. <laughs> We've got a lot of mental issues. And I'm the chief. You understand? Because we've been seeing God wrong. That's why he said, again, unresolved and excessive guilt interferes with cognitive functioning, concentration, and daily tasks. What are we supposed to be doing? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why? Because we've all believed the devil's lie that God wants us to just feel so bad. And so until we feel bad enough... We're not going to do anything, but the problem is the worse you feel, the less you're likely to do something. Do you see the problem? He goes on to say it's distracting and demoralizing and can make us resort to self-punishment. Is that what God wants? Martin Luther was doing self-punishment, wasn't he? And then he heard the voice as he's there crawling up on his knees and blood is coming out and he's just trying to show God how sorry he really was, he heard the words, and the just shall live by faith. Faith in who God is, convicted by his love. A sorrow, not of guilt, but a sorrow of what my sin costs. There's a huge difference A sorrow of seeing Jesus smile when I thought he should have pointed the finger. Participants, it says, this is according to a study published in the Journal of Behavioral Medicine. It says, participants in the self-blame group showed an increase in shame and guilt as well as an increase in STNFALPHAR2. But if you want to know what that is, it just basically means they saw an increase in a specific type of tumor. Thank you for saying that. Which is a pro-inflammatory protein associated with chronic states of inflammation. Some people are living in pain because they're living in guilt. And Jesus wants to set us free. The Washington University of St. Louis conducted a 12-year longitudinal study of 145 preschool-aged children. Preschool-aged. And found that more than half of the 47 preschoolers diagnosed with depression displayed pathological guilt. What did Jesus say would happen if we hurt one of his little children? Are we teaching our children in the sermon at home that they need to feel guilty? This was convicting me really hard. I don't know how it affects you because I know that I oftentimes resort to the world's type of sorrow. But God is trying to lead me to repentance, to be convicted by compassion, for others, They evaluated this by looking at the fMRI brain scans of the children every 18 months and saw smaller insula volume in the right hemisphere in those with depression and guilt. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would be in health and prosper. God doesn't want you to be filled with guilt. We could just keep reading. There's quote after quote after quote, but you guys get the point, Right? So let me take you again to the Word of God. Zechariah 3, 1-3 says this, That he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him, to point the finger, to fill him with guilt. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Conviction. Godly sorrow. What was the condition of Joshua? Was he truly, was the devil lying? You know, there's one time the devil doesn't have to lie. It's about our sins. He doesn't have to lie at all. But what he misses is that we serve a Savior who paid for our sins. That's why it says Joshua is clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. But I want to take you to Revelation. I want to take you to the Gospel. I want to take you to salvation. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God And the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, is cast down. Can we not bring him back into the church? Can we not bring him into our homes? Can we not let him teach our children? You see Joshua's clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel, but he says that he spoke to those saying, who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. He didn't say, just stand there in your guilt. You're disgusting, Joshua. He didn't say that. He said, take away his filthy garments. From him, and he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. I have removed your guilt from you. I have removed your discouragement from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. Now that is conviction, that is godly sorrow. That is the truth of who your God is. He's never there to point out your faults. You don't have to be good enough to go to heaven. You don't have to walk around with guilt for years in order for God to finally forgive you. He sees you there as dirty as you are. He looks you in the eye. And he says to you, I took it. It's mine. I took it all. Let me give you some of my clothes to wear. Let me clean you up. So we go back to the beginning where we will close. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Look into the goodness of God. Look at him who is not here to condemn you and believe, believe that he isn't here to condemn you but to save you. And that leads you to be baptized, which is a public declaration that you have accepted by faith that Jesus washes your guilt away. Why would we not be baptized? If there's someone here not baptized, why would you want to hold on to guilt any longer? Repent. Believe in the love of God that leads us to repentance. Be baptized. Allow Christ to demonstrate how much he loves you by allowing Him yourself to enter into his death and enter into a new life. And you shall receive the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children, what should our children be learning? Guilt, shame, reproach, you're not good enough, you always keep messing up. Or should they learn that mom and dad, have been with Jesus. And as many as our Lord, our God, will call. So is there a difference between conviction and guilt? Yes. Today, we're going to have a song, I believe, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So they're going to come up, and as they're singing that, I want you to picture Jesus. Picture Jesus on the cross. Picture him looking at you from the cross. And just let that sink in for a moment.